Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, it's hard to believe that we are actually on the home stretch uh, of a series that we began on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, it's been our summer series, Summer on the, the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, if you were not with us last weekend, I want to encourage you to listen to our podcast. You can go to our website and you can access it directly off there. Or if you'd like, a more convenient way is you can subscribe at iTunes to Grace Crossing Church and then that podcast every week will just download automatically to your your mobile phone, to your smart device, and you'll have access to it uh, if you ever miss a service, which none of you do. But if you ever do, great way for you to access it. Well, the reason I think it's so important that we listened to last weekend, if you weren't here, is because this week is really kind of a follow-on to what we talked about last weekend. Last weekend, we focused on Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, where he talks to us about how to live with wealth without losing our soul. And here's how he summarizes all of it in verse number 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now what Jesus does here is he lays down sort of an ultimatum for us. What he really says is this, the single greatest threat to your devotion to God is not the devil, it's money. I don't want you to miss this. What Jesus here is saying is that you can be devoted to God or you can be devoted to your wealth or your money, but you can't be devoted to to both simultaneously. And Jesus makes a really profound statement to follow this. Here's what he says. The very next statement, verse number 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. It is not coincidental that Jesus moves directly from the topic of wealth to the topic of worry. There is nothing that we worry more about. There's nothing we are more anxious about. There's nothing that causes more heartburn in our life than our wealth does. And Jesus knew it. And so whenever you read this this uh, the Bible, and you come to this word, therefore, it is not an insignificant word. In fact, that simple word appears some 526 times in the New Testament. And when you read the word, therefore, when you're reading, think logical consequence. What the word therefore really suggests is that the statement I have just made and the statement I'm about to make are not unrelated. They are not separated, isolated ideas or thoughts. Rather, they are interrelated. So what Jesus here is suggesting is really, really profound. It's really significant. And it serves as our big idea today. And here it is. The thing that we are most devoted to in life is the thing we most worry about. Nothing reveals the object of our devotion like our worry does. So what we are most worried about in life 
always points to and directs us to the thing that has the greatest degree of devotion from our heart. I mean, isn't that just common sense? If it wasn't something of devotion, we would not worry about it. And the greater the devotion, the higher the anxiety. And God and Jesus knew it. And so he said, when it comes to our wealth, we've got to recognize that worry is the number one thing that will get in the way of your devotion to me. Now, what you're going to see this morning is that five times in ten verses, Jesus says, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. He's driving it like a hammer on a nail. He wants to drive this thought deep into our hearts. Do not worry. And you know why that's so significant? Because that word in the Greek, the word worry, actually means to be drawn in different directions. Here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the lion's share of our emotional energy, of our mental energy, and even of our spiritual energy will go toward the thing we worry about. So what consumes and occupies the greatest part of the human heart? It's the thing we worry most about. And so Jesus here is, here's what he's telling us. I don't want us to miss this this morning. What Jesus is suggesting is this. The gravitational pull of worry will draw your focus off of God and onto your circumstances. That's how worry works. And when he says, do not worry, do not be drawn in different directions, here's what he says. If you don't address worry, it literally has the potential to pull your life apart. Perhaps that's why Jesus makes this statement in verse number 27. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, medical research has studied the impact of worry. And all medical research suggests that you cannot expand your lifespan by worrying, but you can sure shave a few years off of it by worrying. Jesus knew, because he's God, that there was a direct correlation. It wasn't just corollary, it was actually causal. That there would be a cause and effect that the more we worry the more it impacts our lives in every way because we're holistic beings. And so what Jesus here is suggesting is that worry has a way of pulling you in the wrong direction, getting you focused on the wrong thing. When the source of your devotion is not right, it's not God, we get worried about all these other things and our minds are drawn away from him. And it has a tremendous impact on us. Now, in study after study, Studies have shown that the single greatest object of our worry in life as Americans living in the 21st century is, guess what? Money. Wealth. By a landslide, it always comes out, number one, that people worry about their financial health, their financial condition, their future, their economy, which means this. When you go down to the green this week, and you're passing by all of those people as you're walking through the green, just realize that the lion's share of those people who are walking the green are overwhelmed and stressed out about their finances. And you know how they deal with stress? They shop it off. 
Okay? That's what we do in America, right? We shop it off. We just pile up more and more and more debt because what? There is just some way that it relieves and causes us to not face current reality. And so Jesus knew this. And he brings us right into the middle of it. And he says, I want you to know that this is a big deal. This is a big deal. You cannot ignore this. You've got to face the reality that the single greatest thing that you are devoted to will also become the single greatest source of your worry. Now, this would be a great time for me to drop this in. There are two misconceptions about worry that I want to dispel this morning. Before we really get in and dive into what Jesus said, two misconceptions I think are important. Number one, do not worry does not mean do not plan or do not prepare. When you hear the word do not worry, do not think Jesus here is suggesting that we not plan or we not prepare. Listen, having a life insurance policy or two or three is not a sin. It is not wrong to have a well thought out retirement strategy. In fact, God throughout his word commends us for planning and preparing. And I want you to think about this for just a moment. Jesus Christ spent 30 years preparing to do his life mission. 30 years he spent preparing for his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. But watch what he does just before it. Three plus years he spends working on his succession plan. Jesus knew that if I didn't plan and I didn't really think out the strategy, that at the end of the day, I'm going to fulfill my life mission and there will be nothing to show for my life mission. And here we are, sitting in the 21st century at Grace Crossing Church, and we are the products and the benefactors of Jesus' planning and his preparation. He did it well. So do not think that do not worry implies do not plan or do not prepare. Second thing I want you to hear. Do not worry does not mean do not be concerned. There is a subtle but significant difference between concern and worry. Listen, if, if you as a parent today or a grandparent are walking down the street and in a crowded highway, and you're not just a little bit concerned of one of your youngings getting off your hand and going out into that traffic, you might want to go to a parenting class, okay? You might need to check on your concern level. Those are, those are justifiable concerns, right? If your phone rings at 3 in the morning, and there's not immediate concern about why you're getting a call at 3 in the morning, you may have a, adrenal glands that are not functioning well. You might want to go make a doctor's appointment and get yourself checked out. But there's such a difference between concern and worry. And what's the big difference? I'm concerned about a lot of things in my life. But I only worry about the things that I'm devoted to. It is the things that I am devoted to that I really worry about. So let me illustrate it this way. I probably shouldn't confess this to you this morning, but I think it illustrates what I'm talking about. This might surprise you, but I don't wake up every morning worried about your job. I mean, if you, if you get a hold of me this week and you let me know you lost your job unexpectedly, 
I'm going to be terribly concerned for you. But I'm not going to worry. Why? Because I'm not devoted to your job. I'm devoted to mine. And at the end of the day, there are things that are happening in your life that I think are important to you that you must worry about, be concerned about. If I find out that your kids went rogue and something terrible happened and your kids made a terrible decision or something is is tanking in your kid's life, I'm going to be terribly concerned about it. I'll stop and pray with you and I'll pray for you. But I'm not going to worry. I have a truckload of worry with my own kids and grandkids that will last me a lifetime. Why? Because I'm devoted to them. I'm devoted to my family. And I hope at the end of the day, that all of your wild dreams of retirement come to pass. I hope you live everything that you hope to live out for your retirement. But at the end of the day, I'm not worried about that. I'm concerned. I pray it happens. I pray you get to live it. But my concern is what? And my worry is where? What I'm devoted to. And I want you to understand this morning that every single one of us, our highest degree of worry is always attached to the thing that we are most devoted to. Another important thing about concern and worry I want you to see is this. Worry always projects into the future. Concern is about the here and now. When we get concerned about things, it often has to do with something that hits us in that moment. We're concerned. But what's worry all about? Worry is all about an unknown future. It's about a tomorrow that you've not walked into You have no idea what's coming, and guess what we tend to do? What we tend to do in life is we tend to think worst-case scenario when we find out something that has to be dealt with. We look at future situations, and things sometimes just don't look good. They look bleak, and here's what we do. We catastrophize it. And that spiral of worry gets deeper and deeper and deeper as we're thinking about a future that we don't even know that most likely will not occur, and yet we become consumed by it. And I think Jesus understood this. He understood that for every one of us, we have this tendency to let our hearts and our minds go to a place that they're never intended to go. We're not intended to live today in the future. We are intended to live today, today. Now, this is really hard for me. And I suspect it's hard for a lot of you here this morning. Because if you're like me and you're a planner and you're somebody who's a visionary type person, you see big picture, you're always thinking about tomorrow. But here's what God is helping me learn. That I have not been to my future, but he has. And so when I stress out about my future and I become all worried about the what ifs and what if that happens and what if this happens and what if if that doesn't go well and what if she or what if he or what if that account doesn't work out, what if the plan doesn't come together? Jesus had a lot of advice for this. And before I give you his advice, let me give you my advice I gave to one of my children this week. They came to me and I found out about a situation that surprised them, caught them off guard. And here's what I reminded of them. I reminded them that when life drops an unwelcomed and an unexpected package of worry at your doorstep, don't open it alone. Bring God into it. 
Let God help you unpack what's happening inside your heart. Let God help you deal with what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. Don't push back, but rather lean in to learn and lean in to grow. And let God help you get through this. And you know what often happens? What I told my my child this week, that, that so much of what you expect is going to happen may not even materialize, and it didn't. And that's just how life is. And so Jesus knew this. And that's why he told us very clearly, do not worry. Verse number 25. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will, what you will wear. Now there is a big difference between first century and 21st century. Two-thirds of the population in the first century were in abject poverty. Most of them had no idea where their next meal was coming from, their next drink was coming from, whether they could find safe drinking water. Most of them wore the clothes on their back and nothing more. And if you did not grow up in a home where you experienced any level of poverty, then it's really hard to identify with this. But I'll tell you what we can all identify with in the 21st century. Jesus was practical here. When I walk into Cheesecake Factory and I look at the encyclopedia called a menu... I stress out, right? I start to wonder, I got one shot at this, right? I mean, I may never be back here again. This might be it for me. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to get the wrong, choose the wrong menu item. So as I'm leafing through it, my wife is always ready to order long before I am because I'm, I'm taking it all in. And here's how this works for us, right? We leave church every weekend and we say, what shall we eat? We worry about what restaurant we're going to go to. We worry about what the line's going to be like, what the wait's going to be like. And every one of us at times in our life worry about what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink. And watch this. I don't want you to raise your hand, but be honest for just a moment. How many times have you gone and opened a closet full of clothing and said, I have nothing to wear? Come on. Let's be honest in our heart for just a moment. How many times have we gone to our closet that's filled with all sorts of clothing, and we are just all stressed out because we don't think we have anything to wear. We're looking at all the shirts, and man, I don't have any shirts. We're looking at all of our shoes. I don't have enough shoes. We look at our dozens of purses, ladies, not guys, but you're looking at dozens of purses, and you're going, I don't know which purse. I don't know if I have a purse that that matches. We do it, don't we? And, And Jesus knew that the staples of life mattered. He knew that they were important. So he tells us not don't be concerned about those things, but he says don't worry about those things. And why does he tell us with confidence, don't ever, ever worry about the mundane staples of life? And I can tell you why he says it. Because Jesus said if you have enough faith to believe the premise that God is your creator, then you have to also believe the promise that God is your provider. God will take care of every, I mean, we do this, don't we? we? We trust him for so much, and yet some of the basic, simple things of life we worry about. So the end of verse 25, here's what he says. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothes? Now, Jesus here is asking a rhetorical question that I want to rephrase for you this morning. Here's the question. How do you define life? That's the rhetorical question Jesus is asking here. How do you define life? 
You may have never thought about this question if you would give it a definition, but I want you to take a few moments this morning and I want you to think about it. Life equals what to you? Life equals good health. Life equals successful children. Life equals a great career. Life equals many accomplishments. Life equals a phenomenal retirement plan. What does your life consist of? What Jesus is getting to is the heart of our philosophy and our theology of how we live out life. And I've got some sobering news this morning. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he actually defined it. Here's what he said. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Let me tell you why that's so important. Take Christ out of that verse and drop in it anything else you want and you cannot say to die is gain. For me to live is money. Can't say to die is gain. For me to live is popularity. You cannot say to die is gain. For me to live is overwhelming, unbridled success. You cannot say for me to die is gain. The only way that we can, we can end the journey of our life and be able to say, it's been a profound gain to me, is if we can first of all say, for me to live is Christ. Why? Because we most worry about what we're most devoted to. And what we're most devoted to consumes the better part of what we worry about. And Jesus knew that if we made God our big ambition, if we made our relationship with God our primary focus and everything else flowed from that, then everything else would take care of itself. Jesus then gives us two illustrations that are really, really interesting. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. Jesus, are you kidding me? I'm all worried about what I'm going to eat. I got all these worries about what I'm going to clothe myself, how I'm going to have clothing for my kids. I'm all worried about whether that relationship or that situation is going to work out. I'm worried about my retirement plan. And Jesus just stops and says, look at the birds. Look at the birds. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? My wife and I were walking in Glen Helen last week, and we ended up landing at the Glen Helen Raptor Center. If you've never been over there, it's such, such a cool place. These are birds that uh, were no longer able to be out in the wild because they couldn't survive. Broken wings, broken legs. They are brought there, rehabilitated in a conservation environment that's all about protecting and giving them quality of life, whatever life they have to live. And as I'm walking through looking at these birds, I thought of that verse. And I was reminded of those birds that were there that could have been left to die. And yet, for those birds, they were picked up. Those birds were saved. And you know what? God knew every single story of each of those birds. He knows everything about their life. And he goes on in Luke chapter 12. This is so interesting. He talks about the smallest of birds. He said, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now, in the first century, one sparrow was worth one-sixteenth of a common laborer's day wage. 
But the marketplace, just like today, in retail and in, in, in wholesale uh, foods, etc., there are sometimes they put things on sale. And in the marketplace, here's how the sale went. You could buy two sparrows for a penny or five for just two pennies. In other words, buy four, get the fifth three. You know what I think Jesus is telling us? Jesus is telling us, don't worry, because you are of so much more worth and value than even that priceless sparrow that has no street value. God's saying, I care so much more about you, and yet I take care of the birds. They don't even think about what they do. I'm providing the the twigs and the things they need to build their nests. I'm taking care of them. They know when they got to go south, when they got to migrate back north, they just do it instinctively. Why? Because God cares for them. And if he cares for them, how much more value does he place on us? Then in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, he gives us the second illustration in verse 28 through 30. See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you You of little faith. Apparently, Jesus too knew that Solomon was voted best dressed by his classmates. He wore all of the designer clothing. He had all the name brand stuff in his wardrobe. There's nobody that was more impressed when he walked down the halls than people were with Solomon. This guy was dressed to the hilt. And here's what Jesus said. Think about the flowers that I dress the grass with. They have absolutely no purpose other than to bring you pleasure. Think about that. Have you ever wondered why God created you? Right? God didn't need you. God wanted you. And why did God want you? And why did God want me? Because he wanted pleasure. And he wanted us to find our greatest pleasure in him. And what Jesus here is teaching us is this. Where the birds teach us of our value The flowers teach us that we bring pleasure to God. And because we bring pleasure to God, God is going to make sure that everything we have need of is taken care of. God has got our back when it comes to life. We never have to wonder whether he's going to meet the needs. Jesus then closes out his thoughts in chapter 6 by giving us some really important principles for how to counter the gravitational pull toward worry about this, that, or the other thing and how to make sure that our focus stays on God. There are three things that I think he says that I want you to see. Verse number 32. 31 and 32. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For unbelievers run after all of these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Here's the principle. The greater your faith in God, the less prone to worry you are. Jesus' language here is very provocative. I don't want you to miss what he says. For unbelievers run after all 
these things. What is it Jesus is suggesting? He is suggesting that when we say we believe in God and then we do not trust God to meet our needs, we're living our lives like unbelievers, like atheists, like we actually don't believe in the God we claim to have relationship with. This is a big deal. Because Jesus knew that in our lives, the greatest thing that we do is we represent his kingdom on earth. And you know what so often happens in life? When we become consumed with worry, we actually damage the testimony of Christ's power in our lives. We actually damage what Jesus Christ came to do and to bring to us. In fact, let me say this. I think the single greatest thing that distinguishes Christ's followers from everybody else is how they respond or how they should respond when they want to be consumed with worry. When people look at our lives and they go, I just don't get it. How can you have the same issues I have? How can your kids disappoint you the same way that my kids did? How can your job disappoint you the same way mine did? How can things just go bad in your life and yet you constantly seem to have a center about you? Let me tell you, that's a testimony of what God's power can do when we look to him. What he's suggesting here is that when we do not keep our eyes on the Lord and we do not live our lives like we are believers, we actually become like, as it were, atheists. But here's the deal. Your father knows. Your father knows. Back in verse 6 or verse 8 of chapter 6, Jesus actually said this, your father knows what you need before you ask. So not just does he know, but he knows even before you pray. He already knows exactly what it is that you have need of. Here's the second thing, principle that I think Jesus gives us to help us from that gravitational pull of worry to keep focused on God who should be our greatest devotion. Verse number 32. Let's go to the next scripture. Matthew 6, I think just before that, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you. Here's the principle. When you give God your all, God will give you his best. When you give God your all, God promises he's going to give you his best. He's going to do what's in your best interest. So let me circle back to what we've been saying this talk that's been the main idea. Worry has a way of pulling us away from God and putting our focus on something else. James chapter 1, the half-brother of Jesus, he says this, Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled, and might I add unstable, as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from God. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. When we try to have a devotion to something other than God first, it affects everything about the stability of our lives. 
And here's a final principle. Jesus gives it to us in the final verse of Matthew's gospel. Verse 34. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Have you ever made the mistake of taking more than one or two bag of groceries and trying to carry them into the house all at one time? Once you're out there cleaning up the mess from the lazy man's load and you're cleaning eggs off of the driveway, you'll think twice the next time about carrying too much at one time. What Jesus is suggesting is this. When you're tempted to think tomorrow, think today. When you are tempted to live in tomorrow, live in today. Why does Jesus tell us that? Because the overarching theme of the Bible, if we narrowed it down to one overarching idea and thought that is constantly repeating, it's this. You and I have no guarantee of tomorrow. We have absolutely no guarantee of a future. What we are guaranteed is this moment. We have our memories. We have this moment. We have our relationships in this moment. But there is absolutely zero guarantee. And that's the case, the airtight case that the Scripture builds all through. That you and I, we run into danger. And it's really debilitating when we choose to live out our lives in a future that has not yet been promised to us. So here's the really good news. The good news is God's already been there. And because God has already been into your tomorrow, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to fear it. You don't have to become consumed. Be devoted to God. And when we are devoted to God and we worry most about pleasing Him because we become enslaved to the things The things that we worry most about have a way of controlling us. That's why Jesus uses this language he uses. And when we make sure that he is our first devotion, everything else has a way of taking care of itself. So i got to ask you a question as we close. And I'm going to ask you to write it down. What is the single greatest source of your worry today? What is it that you worry most about as you sit here this morning? Some of you in this auditorium, after hearing this talk, you're worried most about worry. And it's probably good. But I want you to think about what is that thing that I'm most worried about? I know mine. I know the thing that occupies the lion's share of my heart. And i got to bring it to God. What is that thing? I want you to write it down. I'm going to give you just a moment to do it. You can write it in your mobile device. You can write it on a piece of paper, one of our cards, connection cards. Or you can write it on the tablet of your heart. But I want you to write it. I want you to think about what it is. You got it? Now let me give you the counsel of Paul the Apostle who actually builds his counsel on the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't 
worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Say that word with me this morning, anything. And say that word, everything. We are called to worry about nothing and pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all that He has done. Then, consequential, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Everything that he has just said is contingent on the last six words. Everything hinges on whether or not we choose to live in Christ Jesus. When we pray about everything, we bring God into the equation, and it is God who changes everything. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning and stand with your worry. I want you to think about as we pray this morning, what is that thing in my life that keeps me up at night? What is that thing in my life that causes me heartburn? What is that thing, that object in my life that stresses me out? I'm going to ask you and invite you to join me as we lift those worries to God. And as we do what the Scripture says, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Easier said than done. But God gives us the power to discipline our lives to do it. Let's pray together. Father, thanks so much for today. Thanks so much for your word, the insight you give us. We're reminded today, God, that uh, all of us are plagued and touched with worries of life. And there are so many times that the things that we worried about are things that are not even going to come to pass. And yet we get all bogged down. We get all weighed down. We, we get overwhelmed with those things. And so, God, we need your grace and we need your help. We need you to step into that world with us and our deficiencies and our struggles and our tendencies to, to actually have a pull away from you and toward the circumstances of life. Help us to keep our focus on you. Help us to keep our hearts centered on you. Help us to keep our feet grounded in your love and grace. Help us, Lord, I pray, to surrender and submit our future, which is not guaranteed, to you in this moment. Because you give us the promise that if we will surrender our lives to you, that you will take care of all that we need. So help us to do that. Help us to seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, that everything else will be added to us. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his glory. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.